special thing. Hallelujah. Zach healed my iPad again today. So now the, the, the letters are big enough. Pray for me. I'll have my left eye operated on Tuesday morning. Got to go on at 6.45 a.m. And hopefully it will see as good then as my right eye does. And then I'll be like a teenager again, just uh, in my view, <laughs> not my mind. <laughs> I can tell you that right now. But hey, we're talking about inner healing. And God wants to heal brokenness. He wants to heal the broken places in a person. And I wish some of the people that needed to hear this message were here. There's some that I know in particular that need to hear these messages. And maybe they're watching on Facebook Live or, or on YouTube later. But uh, Isaiah 61 and 1 through 3 tells us, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Aren't you glad He's upon you? Because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. Right there is part of our mission. We are to heal the brokenhearted. We are to help bring about inner healing so that they can become more of what God wants them to be. Each one of you can be more. Everybody say more. more. That's what you can be. You can be more than you are right now if you allow the Spirit of grace to come in to those fragmented places in your heart and pour in some spiritual concrete. Hallelujah. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, and the day of the vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. All right. I think I'm going to skip that third verse because it's not necessary right now. But just take notice, he came to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, and it says in the day of the vengeance of our God. Then in Luke 4, in verse 18 and 19, we see, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. You know, gospel means good news. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. There's that same thing. And as I told you before, when he came in that day in the temple, the reading of the day was this passage. It wasn't that he said, give me, you know, Isaiah to read today. No, that was the reading. So it was God's will that he go in there and they handed him the book for him to read. And this is what he read out loud. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And then he stopped. He did not read in the day of the vengeance of our God. You know why? Because it hasn't come yet. That's going to come at the end when the vengeance of God takes place. And so G Jesus' mission here on earth, when he came and he lived those 33 years, 33 and a half years on earth, was to bring salvation. And, of course, he died and resurrected. But he did not come to judge the world at that time. You know, people kind of judge themselves by their own actions. You can see who they are. You know, that, that quote that I have used so many times in the past, you sow a thought and you reap a word. You sow a word, you speak that word, and you'll reap an action. You, re you sow that action and you'll reap a habit. And you sow a habit and you'll reap a destiny. See, if you make something a habit that's good, then it changes your life and shows you your destination, your destiny, what you're doing, where you're going. So, you know, 
I have certain scriptures that are my favorite scriptures. Do you have some like that? And if you read them over and over, they build you up. You know what they are? I tell you. I've been having some, I must be getting older because I'm dreaming a lot. Doesn't the Bible say, and the old men shall dream dreams, and young men will see visions? Well, I saw visions. I had so much vision when I was younger, I still can't live it out yet. But the dreams, I told Rocky not long ago, I said, I had a dream this week. And that was that very week. It was a couple of weeks ago. I said, I dreamed that I saw her limping into, and it wasn't this building. It was a different building altogether. It was bigger. And she was kind of limping down the center aisle, and somebody got her down there, and they were praising the Lord and praying. All of a sudden, she shouted and began to walk and run, and then she just hollered and ran all the way around the building. I said, what a dream that was. I said, i got to tell her that. Why would I dream that? See, God allowed something to be planted in my mind. And I believe you're going to get a touch. I believe your legs are going to be healed, your hips, knees, feet. I believe one day you're just going to take off, aren't you? Yeah, I believe it. Well, God put that in my dream. I saw it like a, a movie. That's why I like to dream. I try to stay in bed a little extra just so I can see another movie before I wake up in the morning. <laughs> but it talks about uh, to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. This is as good a year as any, isn't it? To receive all those things that we're anointed to do and see. John 14 and 12 is a new scripture for you. But it says, Most assuredly I say to you, he or she who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do, because I go to my Father. Now that is just so incredible to me. In fact, one scripture said, you know, uh, all the works that Jesus did, there's not enough books in the world to, uh, to fill it. You know, there, there's not enough room in those books for him. I don't remember exactly. can't quote it, but anyway, he's saying basically there's not enough books printed that would hold everything that Jesus did. I mean, when you heal the multitude, you know what a multitude is, Sister Lois? You know, they identified that there were 4,000 men one day and they fed them bread and fish. Another day, they fed 5,000 men. They didn't even count the women and the children because if they did that, they might have got into the multitudes. But the multitudes was really more than they could count. And so Jesus did those works. He healed blind eyes. I don't know why i got to get a cataract off my eye when I pray for blind people and their eyes are open. You know, that doctor from Guatemala, she was still seeing great last weekend. You know? Well, I didn't expect anything less. You know, that God would take away somebody's healing that he gave them. So, you know, I... But I don't question God. It's all right. Maybe I've got to witness to some nurses and and the people there in the hospital that are going to take that cataract off. You know, to show them... Uh, some kind of testimony. So I'm willing. But he said, we'll do the same works that Jesus did. Well, I've seen deaf ears open. I've seen blind eyes open. I've seen crippled hands unfolded. I've seen uh, cancers gone, tumors gone, all kinds of stuff in the ministry. And yet, if you see it with me, and I'm not that well-known, and there's all these others. I think the only way we could do greater works is if it's because there's so many of us that there could be millions of Christians that are doing the works of Jesus. And that multiplies it many times over. Here's a statement for you. The works Jesus did, we can do also because he went to the Father and sent us the Holy Spirit. I tell you what, Jesus, everything he did miraculously happened after he was baptized in water. 
Am I right? Okay. And what happened on that day? He was baptized by John the Baptist. Something came out of the sky, out of the heavens. It was a dove. And it floated down, and I don't know if it's correct to say it, morphed into him. And there was a voice that said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And the Holy Spirit, boom, activated his ministry that day. And then his very first miracle. He even said, This is not my time, woman. He's talking to his mother. And, you know, you ever wonder why somebody would refer to their mother as woman? Well, I think it's because he was making a point in the scriptures that Mary needed a savior just like everybody else. She did she was not immaculately conceived herself or or whatever. She was a young girl that gave birth to Jesus and was raising him the best that she knew how. I don't know what happened to Joseph. Later on you don't hear anything about him anymore. I, he was older, I know that than her. And so maybe he had already died. But Anyway, because when they came to get him, that one day he was teaching, and they said, your mother and your brothers and sisters are here to see. He said, who is my mother and brothers and sisters except those that want to do the will of the Father? You know, so he did not, you know, say, well, you, I got a golden roll in here. Just bring them on in and sit them down. You know, uh, so, but it, it's just amazing to me. That Jesus, he was saying, hey, the Holy Spirit came, now I can do miracles. And his mother did put a little influence on him, Nelson. And he turned the water into wine, that first miracle in the book of Mark. So that was amazing. You know, I, I, sometimes I wished I could turn water into uh, Diet Coke or something, you know. Because that wouldn't even be healthy for me. So I guess that wouldn't, God wouldn't do that. But we're going to talk about the deliverance of a madman tonight. Let's go ahead and look at the book of Mark. And, uh, you know, uh, we're going to... Philip, go ahead and put that scripture up on the screen if you would. And Pastor Ken, if you would, read for me. Uh, that's a long passage. Mark 5, 1 through 19. And then I'm going to break it down for you right after that. He's a good reader got a good voice for it. Thank you. Then they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gadarenes. And when he had come out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit, who had in his dwelling among the tombs, and no one could bind him, not even with chains, because he had been bound often with chains and shackles. And the chains had been pulled apart by him, and the shackles broken in pieces, neither could anyone tame him. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying out and cutting himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and worshipped him. And he cried out with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I implore you by God that you do not torment me. For he said to him, Come out of the man, unclean spirit. Then he asked him, What is your name? And he answered, saying, My name is Legion, for we are many. Also, he begged him earnestly that he would not send them out of the country. Now a large herd of swine was feeding near there in the mountains. So all the demons begged him, saying, Send us to the swine that we may enter them. And at once Jesus gave them permission. Then the unclean spirits went out and entered the swine. There were about 2,000. And the herd ran violently down the steep place into the sea and drowned in the sea. So those who fed the swine fled, and they told it in the city and in the country. And they went out to see what it was that had happened. Then they came to Jesus and saw the one who had been demon-possessed and had the legion sitting in, and clothed and in his right mind. They were afraid. <laughs> and those who saw it told them how it happened to him who had been demon-possessed and about the swine. They, then they began to plead with him to depart from their region. And when he got into the boat, he who had been demon-possessed begged him that he might be with him. However, Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, 
Go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had compassion on you. Mm. Jesus wasn't trying to build a group of people to go around with him, set up tents or something, and have a big tent meeting or something. He, he told him to stay. But let's break this down a little bit. The first five verses show you a picture of this madman from the Gadarene who had an unbelievable spirit of darkness in him. Many spirits. A legion is equal to how much, Pastor Ken? 6,000. Can you imagine somebody having 6,000 spirits in them? No wonder they couldn't, you know, handle this guy. You know, I told you many times about the young woman up in House Springs and how, you know, I had to do deliverance over her, cast several spirits out of her. But she, uh, she was 4 foot 10, I think, 4 foot 11, probably weighed 105 pounds. And it took four grown men to hold her down. And I had her head in my hand, under her head, on the back of her neck, because she was back, you know, tilted like a football helmet drill, you know. And I thought the devil was going to pop her head off her shoulders, you know. That's how terrible it looked, contorted it was. And so I grabbed it. I just That's what, just what I knew to do was to hang on for dear life. But it took Bobby Roethlisberger and three other men, I think, uh, Ron Elledge, and I forget who the other two guys were. Bobby could bench press 450, 500 pounds. He was, uh, he owned his own workout gym. And this guy was super strong, you know. And it took him and three others to hold down a 105-pound girl, young woman. When the demons kick in, the adrenaline in a person's body responds. And I mean to tell you, uh, I knew another girl up in that same church, just to show you the strength of somebody, who was babysitting, and a young woman had, there was ice outside, and she had slid down one of the kids that she was watching and went under a car, and she couldn't get out. And this young woman, that was about 125 pounds probably, went over and picked the car up enough for this young girl to come out from underneath the car. That's a regular car. Amazing strength. So you see, adrenaline kicks in. Well, you can imagine with 6,000 demons, this dude had adrenaline out of this world. And that's why they shackled him with shackles and chains. And he broke them. I mean, he could have been on America's Got Talent for strength, you know, and got out of uh, a thing like Houdini or something. I mean, this guy was so powerful in his flesh because of these evil spirits. Everybody was afraid of him. That's why he was living out in the graveyard by the tombs there at Gadara. But you see this picture, and this is how people are in the world. There is unbelievable darkness that has them bound I mean you just wouldn't even believe it the hideousness of some people's sin and their lives uh, you know we make a mistake or two along the way and we feel so bad but those are, are like toddler school actions compared to the demonic spirits that operate in some people's lives it's just terrible how some people live because of the darkness. Well, guess what? They need to be set free. They mean, need to be delivered. Now, in verse 6, that's when those demons see the anointed one, Jesus, and he falls down in front of him to worship. I mean, there isn't any name given in heaven or below heaven or on this earth, there's no name that's being given unto mankind that is greater than the name of Jesus Christ. It's just, His name is all-powerful. And so, 
when he comes on the scene, everything has to bow down to him. I've had different ones, and I'm not Jesus, but I have an anointing of the Holy Spirit in my life, and you do too, that if you are operating at a certain level of power and deliverance, some of these demonic forces will drop down and bow before you. I had that man from Jamaica that ran in the service that one night in South Florida and run up the aisle, and he fell down before me and grabbed my shoes and looked up and said, Save me. He was bound. He needed deliverance. Many people need deliverance. Uh, you know, it's the demonic forces. Uh, they tried to practice... Uh, what's the Cuban? Santeria. They tried to practice Santeria on our church property, but they could never get beyond the right-of-way down there. The right-of-way was like, I think, you know, 20 feet or something like that. That's where all the light poles go down the side of a road or whatever, and they have a right to get to it. Well, the Santeria people tried to do the little chicken thing and chicken bones and blood and pour out blood and do a little prayer, satanic prayer, against you. But they could not get on our property. It was only at the mouth of the driveway that they could do it. They could not come in there. When that uh, male witch, the, the, you know, the one that had gotten deliverance in South Florida, when he got saved, he was a warlock of the satanic church there and he said there's 3,000 Satan worshipers in the region and he said they got in all those churches except for the ones that did praise and worship he said we could not get in and disturb those churches only the ones that were religious and they got in and caused different ones to fall and to sin and so on so you know it, it was a, not a good situation for them, but the Spirit of the Lord is so much more powerful that they had to fall down and worship Jesus. These demonic spirits inside of that, that man at the Gadara uh, tombs, he fell down and worshiped Jesus. He recognized the anointing. The anointing is so powerful. And so many times I've been places and that anointing, they don't have to see you they have to see Jesus. They have to see the work of the Holy Spirit in you. And because of that, then many of them have fallen down and got delivered. And I'm so happy they did. Uh, that one witch that was 85 years old in Guadalajara, when she was laying there on that cot, all swollen, pus coming out of her eyes, and uh, the, the man came and said, Can you deliver my mom? And... I said, well, what's wrong with her? And he said, well, she's on her deathbed, but she has been a witch my whole life. This guy was over 50 years old. And I went over and said, do you want to be free? Or will you renounce the being a witch and give your heart to Jesus? She said, no. Just like that. And I said, Holy Spirit, what am I going to do? And he said, ask her if she wants to be free of being tormented. So I did. And she said, yes. I said, well, okay, Holy Spirit, you just open the door. And so I prayed over her, and she was vibrating on that. They carried her in on a plastic Walmart-type cot, you know, like you lay out in the sun on. They carried her in and, uh, on that. Well, she vibrated on that thing, and her, her body was all swollen up. And I prayed for other people, and I came back to her, and her body, her legs had gone down to normal. Her arms had gone down to normal. Her face swelling had gone out of her face. And I said, wipe her face off. And I got a wet cloth and wiped her face off. And I said, in the name of Jesus Christ, stand up. And so she was able to stand, and she was so happy. And then I said, repeat after me. And she repeated the sinner's prayer. And she was truly set free. Well, I'm so happy because she was like 85 years old. You know, it's better to barely make it into heaven than not to make it at all. And so she was set free 
and pulled out of darkness and that torment because of the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Jesus ascended to the right hand of the Father and sent the Holy Ghost so we could become replicants of Him. We could become like Him. And that's why He said, you'll do the same works that I do and even greater works shall you do. And that's why, you know, He wanted us, He wanted to go so He could send us the Holy Spirit who can be everywhere at the same time. Isn't that amazing? But it can. And then point number three, out of verse seven there it described, without liberty they are tormented. <coughs> this man was tormented. He had cut himself. Did you know people cut themselves today? I've counseled with several that are cutters, they call them. And uh, one young woman, I, she was in her 20s, and I counseled her for some time. And I prayed over her, and uh, she ended up uh, fairly good being free. And, and I, I, after she got remarried, after divorce, uh, she got, that's when I was counseling her over cutting and suicidal thoughts and whatnot. And uh, she got free, and, and i got to be careful because some people might even know who she is. But she got remarried. She got a really good job, finished college, and she even had a baby, and I dedicated her baby to the Lord. So it's pretty awesome, you know. But uh, God can set free, because of Jesus Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit, the ones who are tormented. And uh, so uh, this man had been tormented by the legion of demons that were living in him. We need to spotlight people's lives and find out where the spirits are hiding see there's there's cracks they're, they're like these bugs they're like cockroaches that crawl down into the cracks and they want to hide they don't want you to know they're in there but I tell you what discerning the spirits works and you can call those spirits out and they have to come out but I'm going to tell you right now and I've told this before but the spirit of fear is always a companion spirit with every other spirit. There must be a gazillion spirits of fear out there because everybody's got at least one trying to attack your mind. Oh, man, in psychology, they'll try to tell you they're phobias. You know, you don't like to be in closed-in places. Claustrophobia. You're afraid to be in a closed-in place. Uh, some people couldn't be a, a plumber or electrician because they couldn't go under the, you know, in the crawl space or anything, under the house. You know, they got claustrophobia. People are afraid of heights. People are afraid of blood. People are afraid of this and that and the other, you know, because it's fear. And the devil tries to bind us up with fear. But fear is a companion spirit with everything else. You know, the devil tried to make my wife and I be afraid. We had left moved out of one place into another and the people that owned the house that we moved into I was about 28 maybe then uh, they had left a bunch of stuff in the walk-in basement below the house well we were getting a good deal on it you know on the rent and we would hear this thing you know make a, a squealing noise in the middle of the night we'd say what is that because, see, I knew that there had been some deliverance take place in that house earlier. And, uh, and I, I don't mind telling you, the evil spirits, this guy was like 260 or 70 pounds, and the guy that went over to do deliverance in his house, he tried to pray, and this guy got picked up by the enemy, by the devil, and he levitated above the stove. He was floating around like, you know, Dumbo or Jumbo or whatever that elephant's name was in the cartoons. But here he was up in the air. And he'd say, come, he'd grab his pant leg and say, come down in the name of Jesus. And the guy would come down. <laughs> but that house, and they'd found out he went into the bedroom and was praying. And, and he said, you spirit, because he is having terrible thoughts of, of like hatefulness, murder. And all of a sudden, this gun, this pistol, 
flew out of the closet, hit him square in the chest, and knocked him on the ground. It was a Luger, a German Luger, that his father had brought back from the world from World War II. And this thing, it had a spirit of death on it. It knocked him down on the floor. Man, they had to do some real prayer. Yeah, I'm talking about spirit-filled guys now. And, uh, but, see, fear. After hearing those stories and I moved in that house and we started hearing that squealing noise going off, we started praying and we'd pray all over that house. <laughs> we'd go to sleep and then another day it'd go off again. We'd hear this squealing. I said, oh, my goodness. Man, those devils are back. And so I went around. I kept trying to find that sound. And I went around to where the, the doors were to that downstairs basement and I opened those doors and I heard it in there. I said, you devil, come out of there in the name of Jesus. And I walked over to a box and I heard that noise again. I said, I said, come out in the name of Jesus. And I opened that lid of that box, looked down, and it was a smoke detector that the battery was going bad. And what am I telling you? You can be afraid of anything. Your mind can conjure up demons and everything when all it was was a faulty battery in the smoke detector. You know? But that is the truth. I spoke so long, my screen went off. <laughs> Am I going to have to hit this thing again? Get to my notes? Yep. I get like that. I end up chasing a rabbit. That's a true story, though. Fear is a spirit. And you see, and what these spirits try to do is torment you. It could be a battery that torments you, and you think it's a demon, but the devil takes advantage of it. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a power of love and a sound mind. But see, this stuff gets into you. You know when most people get these evil spirits a lot of it starts when they go to a horror movie like Amityville Horror or something like that they go to see or they saw the exorcist I knew a boy at the Assembly of God Church he was a freshman in Three Rivers and he went to see the exorcist when I was in high school and he started having the devil appear at the side of his bed and act like he was going to come and kill him. And he cried out to Jesus. He'd sleep with his Bible. He was so afraid until finally he confessed it to somebody and they prayed over him in his bed, bedroom, and then the devil never came back again. And, uh, but it affected him. See, you open doors for things in your life to come into your lives. It's what you see, the eye gate, it's what you hear, the ear gate. It's what you taste, the, the taste buds or whatever. But, you know, these things will try to take over and they'll try to slide in and take uh, a position in your life. But these spirits, you see, in, in number four in verse eight, the fourth point is this, the anointed commands the unclean spirits. See, Jesus, he commanded the spirit was going to have to come out, and then he said, what's your name? Now, do you always have to ask the question when you're doing deliverance of somebody, what's your name? I think you've got to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. That little gal named Helen in House Springs, when I cast those demons out of her, you know, I, you know, it was, I had to threaten, the Holy Spirit told me, threaten those demons to cast them out and command them to go to a dry place. Well, demons can't live on their own. They can only act out their devious ways through living beings. What are you? You're like 67 or 75% water. Well, a demon has to be around water. Have you ever wondered why the satanic uh, groups, they'll join together like next to rivers or creeks or lakes or oceans is because they want to be near water and there are demon worshipping people here in Poplar Bluff 
There are satanic church people in Donison. There are those in Neelyville and the surrounding regions because I've heard about them and I know they're there. They worship the devil and they give praise to the enemy. I'm not telling you that to scare you. I don't know how many there are, but there's quite a few, more than you are led to believe probably. But they are out there. But the anointing commands the devils. They cannot do what we tell them not to do. We have authority. In verse 9, that's where Jesus, the spirits of darkness, have to go. But they'll beg you not to be sent away. Please don't send us to another city. Don't send us to another country. Let us go into those swine. Well, Jesus didn't mind. He was kosher. I'm not kosher. I would think about, no, I'm not going to let you go in those swine. You're going to have to go into uh, those lizards over there. <laughs> you know, I like bacon too much and sausage. But uh, I'm just having a little fun now. But he permitted it. And what they do? They ran down the hillside and drowned themselves. The, the swine did, the pigs. These are Samaritans. They weren't kosher. They didn't eat like a Jew. So they had pigs. Well, they ran down there and drowned themselves. And I tell you what, <laughs> when they went away in the point number six with verses 10 and 13, as Pastor Ken had read to you, the anointing reveals their true agenda. What did they do to those swine? They killed them. What does the devil want to do to you? Still kill and destroy. Well, you know, you'd think if somebody's dead, they're already destroyed. But no, he wants to destroy everything about you. He would like to destroy your reputation. He'd like to destroy your witness. He'd like to destroy your family. He'd like to get your kids on drugs. And he'd like to get your children far away from God. He'd like to destroy everything about you because you love Jesus. See, that's the devil's agenda, is death. He wants to destroy you. He comes to kill, still kill and destroy. You know, if he can do it gradually, I think he takes uh, happiness out of that. Oh, I'm so happy. I made that person crippled. Oh, I'm so happy. I put cancer all over their body. Oh, I'm so happy. You know, the devil is happy when he can steal from you. He can steal your life. He can steal your health. He can steal whatever he can from you. Steal your marriage. Steal your kids. Steal whatever. And then if he can kill you, then he'll kill you. And then you're destroyed because he destroyed everything around you. Well, I tell you what, I'm so happy that we have a Savior and a Holy Spirit today that we can resist him. You know what the Bible says? Resist the devil and he will flee. Yeah. You humble yourself before the Lord and he will lift you up. He'll pull you out of the trouble that you're in. But if you don't humble yourself before the Lord, what's humility? True humility is knowing exactly who you are. Some of that's knowing that I'm, a, I'm the son of I'm one of the sons of God. I'm a child of God. Man, my older brother's the king of the whole universe and all of heaven and earth and everything around it. His name is Jesus Christ. And I'm going to tell you what, he, he is powerful. He can destroy the enemy. And one day he's going to throw him into the lake of fire for eternity. Yeah, that's going to be a great day. But see... When something happens that's powerful, then God draws a whole city to this power that's happening. You know, in the Brownsville, we call it the Brownsville Revival in Pensacola. Brownsville Assembly of God Church hit a revival. John Kilpatrick, I've heard his testimony. Uh, he shared how he was exhausted. I think a couple of people in his family had died. He had been up on a roof and slid off and fell off the roof one day. He was in a lot of pain, and it was Father's Day, and he, he 
wasn't going to have Steve Hill, but Steve called him from while he was in England and called him and said, I'm going to be in your city, you know, your area. Would you want me to preach? He said, well, that's Father's Day. And then he thought, no, come ahead and preach. And John Kilpatrick got touched that day and laid in the aisle for like eight hours. He couldn't get up. He was slain the Spirit, and he had a visitation of God in his life. And then that revival continued on for like six years or longer. I went the very first year. Uh, I heard about some services. I had some of my guys help me build some of our buildings and about that time uh, we I said well let's go up there some of you guys did you go with me that one no anyway we went up and we w- walked right in I mean we got there and they opened the doors we walked right in I sat on the front row the end of the pew right in the very front I didn't have to even stand in a line or anything and he preached pretty simple message then he made the altar call for those who need to get right with God they dealt with that. Then he said, okay, I want all the pastors, ministers that want to get touched. Come on up. I just stepped about three feet, three or four feet up to the front. And Steve Hill came down. He was going to lay hands on me. And he went like this. And I was like five feet away. And the power of God slapped me down on the floor. I slid under the front pew. I had my eyes open. I didn't even close my eyes. And he said, do you feel that? I said, well, I hope I did because I went under the pew. You know? And there I was, and I was super touched. But you know, I went to another revival, and I took Pastor Ken with me to Lakeland, and uh, we Carpenter's Home Church, and Rodney Howard Brown was there. That was was that after I went to Pensacola or before? Anyway, anyway, I, we went, and he asked for the ministers that wanted to get prayer. We went down there, and boom, every one of us fell out in the spirit. I was laying there thinking, well, I thought this would be something better than this I thought it would be more spectacular and I tried to get up and I couldn't get up I I was just like frozen and I felt like I had Velcro on me I was down on the floor I couldn't lift my arms I said God what's going on did I have a stroke or what and all of a sudden I heard these guys laughing a little ways away and it kept getting closer and closer until the guy next to me started laughing and then all of a sudden, I started laughing at the guy laughing, I thought. But I got to laughing hysterically. And all of a sudden, my arms and legs went like this. I was loose as a goose. And I was laughing. I was so drunk in the spirit. I get up off the floor, and I'm looking around. And I said, I'll go back to my seat. I went back, and I was sitting there. I said, man, Ken and, and those other three or four guys, they must have still be laying down up there. And I look over two whole sections like 400 people to a section you know two whole sections away there's Pastor Ken waving at me I said well man I couldn't even find my way back to the seat and I laughed some more you know I've had some great experiences in the Holy Spirit you know and I tell you what when you get those touches the demons don't like it They, they can't stay around you I mean to tell you, the anointing is so great. The delivering power is so great that they they fear it. But people do. You know, point number eight out of verse 15, when the people see the delivering power of God, when they saw that guy from the tombs that had 6,000 demons in him sitting in his right mind, no chains on him, they probably even got him to comb his hair or something. But he was sitting there in his right mind and those herdsmen were scared to death because all their pigs ran off and drowned in the Sea of Galilee. They begged him, please leave our city. (laughs) We're scared of you. You know, people get afraid of the anointing, especially if they're not right with God. Man, they do not want to be around the anointing. It scares them half to death. But I'll tell you what, I've gone, I've gone to shake hands. They ho, ho, no, no. You know, when I've been different places because they're afraid that you, you're going to zap them or something. Well, you know what, I'm just a regular guy. I just have the power of the Holy Spirit. When he wants to operate in me, he can. And I allow it. But 
people, when they see that, and I'm going to tell you it's like this, in point number nine, this is out of verse 16 and 17, those two verses described it for you, and I put it this way, religious fear what they do not understand. Religious people will fear what they don't understand, and they will resist it and want to not be around it. Some people never seen, you know, when, when we had Hurricane Andrew down in South Florida, we held our services on Sunday in a tent, and then we moved to the high school. Then when they got to renovating the high school auditorium, we went to the middle school auditorium down the road. And when they were ready, we went back to the high school. And then we went to our own property because we had built the first building. But the amazing thing is when I had services during the week, I borrowed one time, I borrowed the Mennonite church. Now, Mennonites are not quite like Amish. They drive cars. They do have beards, though. The men wear beards. And, and the pastor was a very nice man. And I don't want to say his name because who knows, he might be watching. But he allowed us to use his building. And I'll say his first name was Walter. But I said, Brother Walter, won't you come up and help me to pray for the people at the end of one of my messages? And so he came up. Well, when he started praying for them, they started falling out in the spirit on the ground. And he didn't know what was going on, you know. They don't see that in the Mennonite church. Well, it was happening because the anointing that we carried came into that place. That building was not holy. It's just a building. This building's not holy. It's just a building. But the, the God that lives inside of you, the Holy Spirit is holy. And so... He didn't realize how much power he had down inside him. He was a believer. But they started falling out of the spirit. And I was on the board of First Choice Women's Centers of Miami-Dade and Monroe Counties. We had uh, travel uh, RVs that would go to the college campuses, give uh, out uh, pregnancy tests and so on. We saw hundreds, like five, 600 kids' lives saved every year and I was on that board for like nine years I was the chairman of that board for like five and so one of the guys on that board was pastor of a Southern Baptist church and I invited him to come preach for us on a Sunday night because we became friends hey we can learn from a Southern Baptist one of Zach's best friends is Dave McCormick he's one of the pastors of First Baptist here in town but sometimes their belief systems don't permit to happen what happens in a charismatic service. And yet, you know, so this brother, uh, I had him preach, and it's funny because he preached from Acts chapter 2. I said, I got a Southern Baptist pastor preaching on Acts chapter 2 in a charismatic church. Does he not know what's going to happen at the end of the service? And so... Uh, he preached, and then he, he, when he was done, he said, Amen, I'm going to turn it back to the pastor. I said, Okay, everybody that needs to be filled or touched with the power of the Holy Spirit, come on up here to this altar. And I mean, there was like 100 people come up there. And I said, Come on, brother, go down with me, and we're going to pray for these people that need prayer. And he just wanted to grab them by the hand. I said, No, come on, just put your hand on their head. And so he did, and boom, that person fell out in the spirit. I mean, we started praying, and he was praying. He didn't know what to do with that. He'd never seen it before. I'm not trying to be cocky or arrogant or prideful. But a lot of people in the church world today do not understand how much power lives inside of them. And yet they won't let it out because of some kind of religious system. The religious don't understand it, so they fear it. And a lot of times they don't want you to be there. You know, and I've just got to tell you, I preached in one church out of this town in another state and city, and they don't function 
Pentecostal or charismatic in their services, although many of their people believe in the gifts of the Holy Ghost. They just don't have them in the service at all. And so I was preaching and I was going along and I thought, Lord, you're showing me things about people. And so I said, oh, I know what to do. And so I, I stopped and I said, can you imagine, hypothetically, if this husband and wife right here, and I pointed at them, had this going on, this going on, and this going on in their lives. God can straighten that out. And it's so funny because after service, this couple walks up to me and they said, you know what? I couldn't believe it. That is exactly what's going on in our lives. I said, well, let me pray for you then. And I prayed for them after the service was over. But, so, you know, you find a way. I don't want to tear a wineskin, you know, somebody else's wineskin at that. I'm not going to a place to split it. I'm going to love on them and encourage them. And so you got to be careful when you you have this liberty and freedom in the anointing not to go into a place and blow it up. You know, you have to, you got to be careful. But when the religious people are around, they don't like it. I preached a revival on the north side of town 20 years ago. And boy, was that a powerful meeting. But there were people that were regulars, even on their boards, that would not attend the services because they were too religious. They didn't like me. They didn't like the liberty of the Holy Spirit and the power of the prophetic word. And so I just found it kind of humorous. Yeah, you don't have to come. There's only 150 visitors every night coming to these services. And on sometimes 20, 25 pastors in the audience. And so religiosity will not give liberty. It will not free people. You've got to have some freedom. And I'm going to tell you this. If a church has been in existence for like 50, 60, 75 years, sometimes the old guard has to literally die before a new move of God can happen in it so it's sad very sad point 10 is this and it's out of verses 18 and 19 freedom makes a person want to go with the anointed but God wants them to testify to our city yeah now Drew James didn't need to be delivered but you know he was a high school kid running around and he got really touched by the Holy Spirit he knew Sister Virginia before he knew me. But he started coming to our church. And I, he came to me and said, You know, I want to go with Teen Mania. I forget the leader's name now. But uh, he, he said it's going to cost 38000 to do an internship with Teen Mania. You know, Teen Mania went around and had these huge uh, teenage crusades for teenagers, youth crusades. It was awesome. And I looked at him, and I said, Well, Drew, I'm going to give you a word from the Lord. You can go and spend $38,000 to learn how to do cameras real well and hang around a lot of kids getting their lives back towards God, or you can take that 38000 and stay in your own city and start your own business. And he did. He had Relentless, and he turned his relentless ministry that a bunch of youth would go out and do stuff, he would, then he turned it into a company that did commercials and things like that. Awesome things. And he married Haley Montag. And that was something I told him. She was one of my secretaries at the time. I said, I wouldn't let her out of your sight. I think, you know, you leave, somebody else is going to snatch her up. You'd be gone for a year, somebody else will marry her. I think I scared him a little bit, Sister Virginia, <laughs> over that. But he's, he married her. He got his business going. And you know what? He went out to Arizona and sold part of that business for a lot of money. He's, he's created stuff with cameras that they use in ball stadiums now. He went to, I forget how many stadiums this year, and installed these cameras that ride the outfield fence. 
He created all this stuff with a gimel, I think they called it, that attached to drones. He's the one that started that putting a camera on a drone that would go over a field and would inspect the crops, and they could see it on video. I mean, this kid was something else. He's well known. You know, he's, he's, yeah, he's been all over the world. And he could have gone with teen mania, and who knows where he'd be right now. I'm sure he'd been effective because he was a go-getter. But you see, Jesus told this man that got delivered, he said, no, you don't need to go with me. You stay here, and you testify to your own city. I think in Matthew it says, and publish your what happened to you. That meant write it down. Man, I mean to tell you, sometimes it's not meant for us to go travel with somebody, some big wig. I've been blessed. I've been to 20 countries. I've preached with Marvin Gorman and, and Ken Summerall. And, you know, I've been on the platform with Benny Hinn and, and with uh, Mike Murdoch and all kinds of different guys that are well-known in ministry. But what God showed me, he showed me a revival in Poplar Bluff, Missouri. You know, he didn't tell me to go and stay in Nairobi, Kenya or or, you know, in Nigeria. And that guy's dead now, that prophet, he died. Uh, he didn't tell me to go and stay in South America. Man, I had great meetings down there. He didn't tell me to go and live in Mexico. We've got churches there, and I've been so many times, but he didn't tell me to go live there. I could speak better Spanish if I did, <laughs> but I guess I'll go to heaven before that will happen, you know. My Spanish pastor, Pastor Evangelista Gonzalez, he told me, he said, Pastor, don't you know that you're going to speak Spanish in heaven? I said, well, you know what, Evangelista, I'm going to have to go to heaven to be able to speak it very well. Yeah. But anyhow, what's the summary of this? You know, we didn't get into a lot of the inner healing part, but I'm telling you, the delivering power of God prepares you for the healing. Deliverance one thing, but healing of those broken places after you're delivered is what the Holy Ghost has to do next. And we're going to talk more about that next week. But this is the summary. The Holy Spirit's power delivers. But the Word of God sustains your soul. See, it's not just about power, but it's also about the Word. The kingdom of God, Paul wrote... 1 Corinthians 4, verse 20, I think, does not consist of power, but of word, of the word, but of power. The kingdom is power, but the way you activate it is with the word. And so for power of God to be sustained, you've got to know. Go ahead, and I tell you what, you might have a few places in your heart, in your life, you might have one place, you might have 20, I don't know, but if you got anything in your heart tonight that you know is a fault, you know what a fault is? A crack. That's why Del Side said, you know, you got to mend the cracks of the soul because a crack is where your fault line is. When you have an earthquake, it's because there's a fault line. And so what do we have in our lives? We have our own little earthquakes, our own little soul quakes. And when you've had things happen to you, it's cracked your wall. It's hurt you. It's put a door there that wasn't supposed to be there or whatever. Let's ask God tonight, how many of you will receive the Holy Spirit into those cracks tonight as I pray to liberate you so that God can start healing you? Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask you to begin to reveal those cracks 
of our souls that we need healing for, that you can mend us, Lord, that you can pour in the spiritual concrete to make us stable in every way. And, Lord, as you reveal these things to the people tonight, next week, until we meet again, I ask you to show them not only what it is and how it got there, how did that crack happen, and what transpired, maybe a parent hurt or abused them. Maybe somebody that was in authority spoke wrongful and harshly to them. God, maybe somebody did something terrible to them. God, I pray that you will reveal it to them and let them know where you were, that you were there, and that they didn't die, that they're still here because you've got a plan for their lives and that you're going to bring healing to them. And I ask you to do this starting now and that next week as we pray over them and lay hands on them, that you'll begin to pour in your healing bomb of Gilead and that they will know that they know that they know they're not the same anymore because of your healing power. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. And that's my challenge to you this week. When you go home this week and you're having prayer time, ask God to show you where those little chinks in your armor was. And if you hang on to it, write it down or something. Put it in your Bible. And then next week, I'm going to lay hands on you. And if you want to be healed over that spot, he didn't have to show it all to you. It takes time for deliverance and for healing in many ways. But I tell you what, he wants you to be free. I'm so free. I have so much fun in life. I tell you what, John and I, we went and ate at Huddle House for lunch today. And I was just talking to everybody there. I was just having fun. I think he couldn't believe how free I was to just chit-chat. I said, John, life is just wonderful, isn't it? That we can talk to people. We can show them love. And uh, I said, this is what it's all about. He just couldn't hardly believe it. But that's how life is. If you let it, let it happen. In the name of Jesus. Amen.